Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. Good to see everybody here on this fine day. If you're a visitor with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, we were hoping you'd come worship with us. So with that in mind, we have uh, some little visitor pamphlets of the pew racks. If you'd fill those out, we'd love to get back in touch with you. And thank you for joining us today. Also, today as part of our worship, we will be honoring our veterans. So um, what we'll do in the service is we'll do a little Lutheran calisthenics. We'll have everybody sit down and then our veterans stand up to be recognized. And we'll begin our litany and everyone else can then, I'll invite you to stand up so we can continue the service. Um, so yes, we'll be doing that. Also, today we are celebrating also the Over the Rhine dedication at First Lutheran for their new gallery space, uh, their new gallery area. So there will be worship at 11, there will be lunch at noon, and a program at 1 p.m. So you're all invited to that. You can double church it today. How lucky are you? Yes. All right. Also, today you can sign up to be included in our annual congregational Christmas card. You can fill out the uh, information out in the, the lobby. Uh, you can read about it. This year we're going to be supporting the Circle of Hope Fund for Professional Pastoral Counseling. Um, the Institute of Professional Pastoral Counseling so that all people can get the help they need regardless of their ability to pay. So that's what your donations will be going towards. Um, tomorrow night, 6.30, will be our last Mission Ready Multiplying God's Gifts listening session. It's regarding the Ruth Grassman gift that we received. We've had two of these meetings so far. 20 plus people have shown up each time and we've had some really great conversations about what's stirring, what's the Holy Spirit doing and how can we start supporting what God's doing in this place and uh, growing our mission and ministry, the impact in the world. Uh, also, a big celebration, November 18th at 9.30, we will be honoring and celebrating Barb Andrews upon her retirement from her role as church secretary. There will be a reception following at the 930 service and you can come join us and thank Barb for her 14 years of faithful service to our congregation. Um, I said maybe a cool thing we should do is take her office chair and retire it as well by, by lighting it on fire and pushing it down Kenwood like a Viking funeral. And, and she can say, so long chair. And we could all say, good work, Barb. But that was just, that's what I bring to the table, right, ideas. It was, a, it was a competing idea. I wanted to take her chair and mount it above her desk. Yeah, bronze it. Like, yeah, yeah, bronze it. it that way, though. Yeah, it was an idea. None of those have taken flight, but that's all right. Um, also, uh, next weekend, uh, you could, uh, next weekend you can pick up and name uh, to help support our Christmas gift program. Uh, we do that every year, so the next weekend is also the deadline for poinsettia orders, which is wild, man. We're on a freight train to Christmas town. Um, so you can find the order form in the bulletin or in the lobby. Other than that, uh, I think we're ready to begin worship. Good morning. Our first reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, 
As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Here ends the reading. The second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. For, the Christ, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Here ends the reading. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law. They like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. How they love seats of honor in the synagogues, head tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be most severely punished. Jesus then sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow gave, has given more than all the others who are making contributions. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she's had to live on. You may be seated. Y'all have heard the widow's mite before, right? This one's pretty common. We run into this one a lot. So I want to give a heads up before I tuck into this one. Um, I've probably heard this sermon like 20 times. I'm sure y'all have heard of it a bunch of times too. And because of the lectionary and how it's seasonal, it always falls in fall. And that is not that coincidentally always when churches are doing like stewardship campaigns, like fundraising stuff. And they're like, hey, here's... Here's a story for you. You ever heard of the faith of this widow? Hmm? 
Hmm? Two copper coins. Can you imagine her faith? Can you imagine her incredible faith? All she had because she loves God so much, because she trusts so much. And these are fine sermons. I, I'm not here to throw shade. They're theologically pretty much right on. I get it. I can't gripe. The only issue I have is what I usually have when we talk about the Bible, which is I'm asking, how on earth am I expected to relate to this? One, I'm not a widow. I know people are widows and how hard that is and challenging that is and how that changes your perspective, how you experience the world. Two, I've been broke, but I've never been this broke. Three, if I was this broke, you can bet if I showed up at a temple, which is literally like the greatest wonder of the world in their time, show up at this thing. I mean, it's like religious Disneyland. It's everything in this city is about this place. To imagine if I did only have two little pieces, I'd go, hey, let me just give this to them. Yours. I would struggle with that because in my context, that don't make any sense. If I'm that broke to give all I have to this big temple, and I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this idea. My context makes this story seem so unreal. And then it's just hard to relate to. What do we do with this? Additionally with this text, I struggle with another popular thing, which is to talk about this widow with such fond admiration. I don't know if when, you notice while I was reading it, a lot of times when Jesus talks and we do the Jesus readings, we put Jesus' voice in this very like, oh, aren't they just so great. You know, we do this like eyes to heaven way of talking where we're not really looking at people. And you might have noticed I put a little bit of like, man, look what she did in this because I struggle with the idea that Jesus, having seen this, is going, hey, disciples, get a load of this awesome, impoverished widow. Wow. I struggle with that because if you've ever seen this level of poverty before, it's not something you go, wow, look at that hero. Look at how great they're doing. I know this because I've, uh, we, we have a few people who here have tra traveled to the Central Plateau with me in Haiti and have seen the ultra-poverty in these villages on the outskirts of poor villages, on the outskirts of poor villages, off the roads are communities of people who live in this level of poverty where the idea of rubbing two coins together is something of a luxury. These are women who are literally caring only for their children by bringing them down to the river to bathe them, drinking that dirty water, getting sick regularly and not having anything close to the funds to pay for a doctor to care for all the illnesses their family will be affected by. But worse than not being able to pay for a doctor, they can't afford even a witch doctor. We heard stories of women who owned a chicken, just a chicken, and it wasn't to eat. It was to hopefully barter just in case they got sick enough to need a doctor. Women have died, they said, of hunger while owning these chickens. Because is this really as low as it can get? Is this as bad as it can get? And they've died. It's, I have a hard time imagining Jesus being in the same places I've traveled and Jesus seeing these starving children and going, well done throwing that chicken into that great bin of money. That was really, wow, great. The truth is, these women are actually that generous. The wild thing is when you get there to see these women, they want to know if they can offer you anything. Like what? 
I wonder, is Jesus looking at this and going, man, what a thing to imitate? Or is Jesus feeling what I felt when I met these people, what others have felt when they've met these women, and is absolutely heartbroken? And when he sees this widow, is he actually lamenting that in this world, with all God has given us, a widow throws all she has while we do what? Discuss the law? What are the rules? That's how poverty works. It's an outrage because it's invisible. We've read in this congregation the reality of the hunger situation facing children in Cincinnati. We've said, oh, we're right up there in the top. Hunger and food scarcity is a daily reality for so many children. And every time we say this, always someone, everyone, a few of us will go, how is that possible? Really? Is that real? Is that accurate? And we struggle because we have so much. We, we, people will say, sure, they're poor, but it's not like real poverty, not like the poverty you see like around the world. The idea that like here in America, you can't be impoverished. I want to step out of my pulpit for a second and now step onto a soapbox and say, let's not play that game of measuring poverty. Let's not. I've heard it. If they have a cell phone, they can't be impoverished. Well, there's cell phones all over Haiti, and that's the poorest place on earth. But also, these are phones. They're necessary. I'm still on my soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> these are necessary. Do you know what happens to a child if you have a child and you're poor and your child's in school and they get sick? And then say you're out of minutes. You don't have one of those like contract phones. You have like the kind from a gas station. You know what happens if they can't get in contact with you? The sheriff shows up at your work with your child in a police car. That's some shame. Secret shame. Hidden shame. I understand though why we say that. We start comparing poverty. Um, the kind of poverty we see in our communities may not be like other poverty in the, in the, in around the world, but it's not like it, and it also is a lot like it. The reason I say that is my friend Maya, um, my buddy in Haiti, who's on the board of HTF, he's a Haitian man who was born into a family. His dad passed away, and his mother could no longer afford to feed him and his brothers and sisters. Him being the oldest, she sent him to live with his distant aunt, who would feed him in exchange for him working in the house. He is a restavec, a child slave. He slept on a piece of cardboard in the corner of that house. He was beaten terribly. He knows a level of poverty I will never know, hopefully. Um, he then ran away at 12 and lived on the streets of Port-au-Prince. Um, and here's what I mean to say about poverty being invisible. He first visited the Central Plateau probably in his early 30s and encountered these women who live in ultra-poverty, and Maya, Maya goes, I didn't realize it got this bad. He didn't know there was such poverty, because this poverty is invisible. It's invisible because we can only see what we see. We only see what we focus on. And sadly, what Jesus, I think, is po pointing out, I regret, is that we often don't have the same point of focus as Jesus does. This isn't a judgment of anyone. This is a judgment of everyone, myself included, and the first disciples. I know that Jesus is pointing out this poverty, right? Why is Jesus pointing out poverty? Why is he pointing out this woman? It's because the disciples don't see it. I know this because in the rest of the story, if you read Mark, 
all that he's done in this temple time in Jerusalem is all he's done is debate with people about doctrinalism, the law, the rules, who's right, who's wrong, who has authority, and who has power. Who should sit here? When you die, who are you married to? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Is it this or this? Jesus even does. He does the love your God and love your neighbor. That's the greatest commandment. And then the teacher, like, real loftily goes, you're right, Jesus. You got it. You passed the test. You're definitely faithful because you know that answer. And Jesus goes, yeah, you too. You're pretty close to the kingdom, he says. Pretty close. His disciples even, in the midst of it, they're not talking about what they see in poverty. They're talking about how big the rocks are that built the temple. Isn't it amazing, Jesus, how beautiful this place is? Isn't it great how big the stones are? It's incredible. And Jesus goes, yeah, yep, they are. Just so you know, they're rocks. They're going to fall over one day. They're just stones, fellas. And I have a feeling that he's sitting here and at this point he's literally rubbing his face and just goes, finally, oh, fellas, disciples, please. You know these guys we keep running into, all the religious authorities, all the people we're chasing after, all these people in robes, can we just be really skeptical of them for a minute? Because... They're spending all their time wondering if they're right or wrong. They're spending all their time wondering if they're smarter than somebody else or better than somebody else. Whether they have power, whether they have authority, who should be in charge. For the love of God, please don't chase this, Jesus says. It's hard, but lose this pride game. Lose this insecurity and trust and big stones. Lose the sacrifices offered in competition. Lose these long prayers if it means you can't see through all your fancy garments that there is a widow over there with nothing but two coins. Two. That's it. Try to resist that. Resist this climb to be the highest in your community. Because the world will tell you constantly how great it is to chase that. Because who here wants to be an impoverished widow? No. The story, the narrative is get what you can get as much as you can. Fake it till you make it. If you don't got it, spend it anyways. Who doesn't want this? Jesus is pointing out that these desires are normal. They are what they are. But in the midst of the chase, in the midst of the hustle, in the midst of the posturing, in the midst of trying to to, to achieve this seat of power you want so bad, whether it be here or whether it be what you look like, the problem is whether you're focused here or here, what's the thing I can't see in any of these two positions, y'all? You. Anybody else. I'm either chasing the throne or I'm wondering what I look like because I'm worried strangers are going to think something about me. We have a hard time especially seeing widows, seeing the orphan, seeing the afflicted, seeing the addicted, seeing the people who are on the outside looking in, wondering if we can love them. Love God. Love your neighbor. Maya, myself, the disciples, we all struggle to see. And struggle is real. So again, I ask, what are we to do? What do we take from this story? What are we taking from a teaching of Jesus that basically points out disciples like us, like his own, we just have a hard time seeing past ourselves. I honestly think what we take from this story today 
is that we should give thanks. Thanks that though we don't see, Jesus does. Jesus does see. Thank God that Jesus sees the widow while we say long prayers. Thank God Jesus sees the hypocrisy of all this as we focus on bricks and stones and seats of honor. Jesus sees the widow. Jesus sees the stranger, the lost, the refugee, the addict, the outsider, the orphan, while we decide whether or not we feel secure enough to look away from our locked doors, look away from our own debts, look away from our own posturing, our own story. Jesus sees them. Thank God. And has good news for them. Beware, he says, a life focused on your robes. A life focused on how much respect you've managed to muster from strangers. Beware a life that's spent staring at the seat of honor and how great it would be to sit on it. Beware a life that's so consumed by a focus on that seat that you could destroy the house of widows, orphans, victims abound. Because truth be told, you couldn't even see them being trampled under your foot. Because our eyes weren't looking down there. Why should we? There's too much up here to focus on. The good news is that Jesus sees. The good news is we've been given instructions on how to imitate that sight. The good news is for all those who are unseen. That God sees you. That God loves you. For those in our midst who have lost loved ones and are dealing with a brand new reality that they don't know if they can cope with, who struggle with feelings of deep loneliness, God sees you and God loves you and this is a place for you. For you who have been touched by the terrors of war, servicemen and women, who struggle with fears, anxieties. God sees you and God loves you. And this is a place for you. For those who struggle with feelings of inadequacy, of being outcast, of not knowing if they can trust someone to really love them, who are facing trials with which you cannot share with anyone else because of fear or shame, God loves you. God sees you. And this place is for you. I take from this reading a heart of thanksgiving that God sees and is working for a reality in this place, in our hearts, in this congregation, through the world, through our commitment to imitate Jesus, to see as Jesus sees, to love as Jesus loves, ways, words, works, I thank God, God is working towards all of us, seeing all of us. That we will all see you. And we will all love you. As we love ourselves. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.